So it's time for our exclusive preview of the brand new album from Def Leppard, the long-awaited follow-up to 1987's Hysteria. On the 30th of March, Def Leppard will release Adrenalize with the single Let's Get Rocked preceding it on the 23rd of March. The album was recorded in Dublin and produced by the band and Mike Shipley. Leopard guru and sixth member Mutt Langer acted as executive producer and also co-wrote some of the material. Following the tragic death of guitarist Steve Clark in January last year, Phil Collin has handled all guitar parts on the album. We understand that the band will announce Clark's replacement before heading out on a world tour in June. Over the coming weeks, you're going to be seeing a lot of Def Leppard on MTV. And for starters, vocalist Joe Elliott explains why the band chose to title the new album Adrenalize. We chose the title Adrenalize for the simple reason that um, we wanted a word that summed up the 10 songs on the record. So um, we believe that the 10 songs are very kind of positive, very up, very, um, I don't know, put a smile on your face. So we wanted something to sum up like maybe like an adrenaline flow or whatever. And the word adrenaline got changed to adrenalize. And uh, I think it suits the record very well because it doesn't exist as a word, which I think makes it even better. And it's in the present tense, which means it doesn't really date. And, and with it being one word and straight to the point, it, it sort of, you know, gets across what we wanted to get across. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Hey, Hollywood. What? She's a gold-plated lover. 24-karat. Cool, baby. She can walk on water. She can walk in my room. She's a one-man woman. And tonight, Pooney, you're going to be BB's personal property. Woohoo! That song is shit. But those <laughs> lyrics are some of the best on the album. <laughs> so, so tonight we discuss the fifth studio album release from Def Leppard, The Mighty Adrenalized. Let's welcome our guest from the Potter and Hell podcast, BB. What's going on, baby? Hey, what's going on, my big brothers in podcast land? Great to be here as always. Son, we're going to get all deep up in Adrenalize because... You know, if Sonny's going to be somebody's personal property, it might as well be yours, BB. That's true. And I can't wait till after the episode, I'm going to fill him with a little white lightning. <laughs> Only tonight, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we already know, at least most of the listeners know, that when we get to the song White Lightning, and we won't go too deep into it, we'll wait for the track by track. But if it has like guns and fire and some sort of an intro on a song, Sonny is 99.9% .9 guaranteed to not like it, but we'll get there. <laughs> what? Oh, it's got nothing to do with it. Takes all fucking day. It's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> so BB, tell me 
What's going on over there in podcast land with the Potter and Hell podcast people? Yeah, we're still still rocking out just like you guys. You know, we're only a couple of weeks behind you guys. That's how I always like to say you guys are like my big brothers of podcast land. Uh, me, Steve, BC, and Dylan, we've been doing this for five years now. We're over 250 episodes. We release every Friday. And uh, we're pretty much just like you guys. You know, we do interviews. We talk about albums. We do some game shows. We do some drafts. We bust each other's balls. We just have a great time doing it, just like you guys. Yeah, we're very similar in that way. And you guys, we we crisscross each other's podcast quite a bit. I'm sure that the majority of listeners that tune into the Grown Up Rock podcast know all about the Potter and Hell podcast. But you guys drop an episode every Friday, usually Friday afternoon. And, you know, just hard rock and metal themes. So uh, it's always good to tune in and hear what you guys are talking about and shooting the shit about. So tell me, what's your history or your memories of Def Leppard Adrenalize? Well, it was funny. After Hysteria, actually before Hysteria, I was a big, humongous Def Leppard fan. Loved those three albums to death, played them to death. And then with, with Hysteria came, everybody kind of jumped on the Def Leppard bandwagon. They released like Hysteria and, and Animal. I'm like, eh, they're all right. They're not what I'm looking for. Then like the pour some sugar on me. I, I almost kind of left the Def Leppard train. When Adrenalize came out, I wanted to give it at least one more shot in uh, the opening track. Uh, Let's Get Rock was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of picked it up and played it a couple of times and kind of forgot about it. Back in, you know, 88, when this was released, you had all, you had Van Halen releasing OU812, Lita Ford came out. I think Cinderella had an album out. Metallica had an album. So it kind of got set aside for me after hysteria and then when when like i said when like, adrenalize came out it just a couple plays and like yeah it's all right and sat in the cd case for years and it's been that long since i played it from the back to actually get ready for this episode so i was you know i understand why it kind of sat on the shelf for a little bit for me okay <laughs> did you by chance see this tour at all i did not okay Your history overall with Def Leppard, when did you come into the picture uh, with Def Leppard? Uh, Just like you guys, uh, after listening to the last couple episodes you guys dropped with Def Leppard, uh, I came into Pyromania. I know, I think Pyromania came out like in January. I did not get the full tape until 1983's Christmas. I remember I got uh, a tape player, and I mean a cassette player and the cassette for Christmas because Photograph was out on the radio, Rock of Ages, Foolin'. Absolutely loved that album. Even today, that's one of those Desert Island albums for me. And that's why I was so disappointed. I I went to that album so much. And then when Hysteria and Adrenalize came out, like it just lacked that punch that you wanted from Pyromania. And it just didn't have it. Yeah. Sonny, what's your memories with uh, Adrenalize? I was waiting for the album to come out. I got it the minute it came out. Um, I was working at Target at the time. So, you know, we usually got it the week before it came out. But you weren't allowed to buy it kind of thing until the day it came out. I was looking forward to it because hair metal was almost becoming a parody of itself by this time. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the bands I loved weren't releasing great albums. And then, you know, you got Pantera coming and Skid Row getting harder. And it's like, what is going on? Right. And where is Def Leppard going to go with it? You know, they answer the question right out of the first track. So that, that part was pretty easy, but uh, uh, I was interested to see where they were going to be in the middle of the landscape changing and all that. I saw this tour live twice, saw it on, uh, September 25th at the Arco Arena in Sacramento, and then the next night in Oakland. And they were in the round again. And uh, I know that 
I think Ugly Kid Joe opened some dates on this tour, and I think Thunder opened some dates on this tour, but I got the mighty fucking Terror Vision. You got Terror Vision from uh, the UK? Yeah. Really? Open. Yeah. Holy cow. So when we've talked about Terror Vision in the past, why have you never mentioned that? Because they sucked. <laughs> I don't remember you ever mentioning Terror Vision because at one point in time, I thought that you basically said, well, I've never heard of them. Yeah, they suck. I didn't know them, right? So I remember getting to the Arco Arena late, probably caught the last couple of songs. I'm like, ugh. This was like like Stabbing Westward was starting to open for bands. And I remember uh, seeing them, like two songs. I'm like, oh, God, their best songs are supposed to be at the end, and they absolutely suck. So I had completely forgotten about it until I went back in the archives and go, oh, my God, I saw Terravision. <laughs> That's really interesting and really rare because Terravision didn't even have a deal here in the States. They're very popular in the UK, and they had a really successful record around this time, 92, 93, uh, because a band I was tour managing opened up for them in the UK on a tour. But nobody even knew who they were in the States, so I'm really surprised that they got an opening slot with Def Leppard. Maybe it was just a handful of dates. I don't know. Yeah, and I think it was just a handful because Ugly Kid Joe and Thunder were still playing, I think, in Europe when Def Leppard started in the States. But they quickly took over because later on I heard friends that were living on the East Coast are like, we got Thunder. We got Ugly Kid Joe. I could care two shits about Ugly Kid Joe, but I would have loved to see Thunder. Yeah. Very interesting. I didn't see this tour at all, the Adrenalize tour. And my recollection of this record, I mean, I remember the singles, but I don't necessarily remember this album. I'm pretty sure I got it because I was a big Def Leppard fan, but this was also around the period of time that I was on the road a lot. So it was hit or miss for me keeping up with stuff. But I, I definitely remember purchasing this record. I just don't remember my anticipation. You think people were really waiting in anticipation between Pyromania and Hysteria. Hell, this album took even longer than that to come out after Hysteria. Probably what this album took five years in between Hysteria and this record to be released, whereas I think Pyromania to Hysteria was what, three years or something like that? Yeah, it went from four to five years, right? And I think people like BB were probably wondering, is like, are, is the next album going to be Pyromania or is the next album going to be Hysteria? Right. Yeah, because who, who knows uh, whether they reverted back to what Pyromania was, but given all the success that Hysteria had, I think it was pretty obvious they weren't going to go backwards, at least if you thought about it that way. But it was interesting to see. And I mean, like BB mentioned, the landscape of, of music is really, really changing at this point in time because 92, I mean, even though they were working on the album for five years, they saw the landscape of music change over that five years, right? Because 87 to 90, you still got hair bands, you still got uh, stuff selling, but between 90 and 92, the last two years before the album came out, the tides are changing, right? Right, and I was, I was actually surprised when, after listening to this album originally, how different it was for the time of the music. Like, I think so many of these songs, they went to the well too many times, and I think they tried to, you know, almost like mimic hysteria. It just didn't work for the time that it was released. Yeah. Now, for me, going back to this record, it had been a long time since I listened to the album front to back. You know, the singles you hear a lot, Let's Get Rocked, things like that. But most of this album, 
I really hadn't heard in quite some time, but in preparing for this episode, I listened to the record probably all the way through maybe four or five times in the last couple of weeks, just to kind of get a sense for it. Was it the same for you, BB? Yeah, just like you, Stephen. When I got it, listened to it a couple of times, and it just sat on the shelf collecting dust because, you know, if I'm if I want Def Leppard, I'm going to either High and Dry or I'm going to Pyromania. This generalized album just kind of got lost in my library, and I haven't listened to it from the back since it was released. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people. How about you, Sonny? Yeah, front to back. I haven't listened to the album in a long time, but, uh, you know, it's in my kind of playlist, depending on if I'm with the kids or if I'm walking around in Vegas. There's a couple of songs that make the playlist. It's usually the hits uh, in one deep track, but, uh, you know, front to back, yeah, I hadn't listened to it in years. Yeah. All right, so let's get into some basic facts about this record. It was released March 31st of 1992, so we're just coming off of the 40, is it 40 years? Yeah, 40 years. The math would be 30 years. 30. That's okay. <laughs> so we're math just. Math is tough. Math is tough for Steven. It is on the fly. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I can't. On the fly. Yeah. He can't subtract 2022 <laughs> from 1992. On the fly, BB. Come on, baby. <laughs> if I have plenty of time to do it, I can do it. Otherwise, if I on have the fly. my calculator. Exactly. There you go. That's why we have calculators, damn it. All right, so we're just coming off the 30-year anniversary of this record, recorded from 1988 to 1992, and this was recorded in Dublin, the same as Hysteria spent time at the same studio in Dublin. The length of the record is 4522. The label is Mercury, and then now it's... uh, I think they did the deal with Polygram at this time to get a subsidiary of Mercury, which is their own label, which is Bludgeon Riffola. This is a deal that some of the bands were doing with record labels at the time. I think Motley Crue did one. Bon Jovi did one. All these bands with Polygram that were selling millions upon millions upon millions of records, they were able to do a deal that gave them their own subsidiary label. And somehow that was good for the band. I don't know all the particulars. Maybe somebody can chime in and share that information with us at some point, but that's what they did. The producer was Mike Shipley. And around 1994 or five, it was certified at three times platinum. I've read different information of recently that it sold 7 million copies at this point in time. I don't know how accurate that is, but whether it's 3 million or 7 million, that's pretty good for this time period. That's pretty good for 1992 for this type of a band, don't you think, Sonny? Well, yeah, it was a number one for five weeks, right? So they, uh, you know, we're going to talk about how ballsy it is to release this in 92, but I don't think they had a choice because it took so damn long to release it. Like, whether we want to believe it or not, 87 to 92 is a goddamn lifetime. That is two completely different generations of music. That's like saying between 78 and 83. Like, that's a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Then a lot of these songs were written on the bus of the Hysteria Tour, too. So these these songs were already written years before they finished this album. Yeah, and I think part of what took this record so long was that the Hysteria Tour was so long. That record took so long to get going the hysteria record that once it got going, they had already been out on the road for a certain amount of time. And then when they had all these hits pop, pour some sugar on me, etc., then that pushed the tour. You know, they were going back 
to places that they had already been. And then they were starting to hit all the uh, B markets and C markets, the smaller venues and things like that. So that tour, I don't know the, the particulars, but that tour probably lasted two to three years alone. So they're at the point where they're having to write the record on the road. Then they've got to take a little time off of that tour to recuperate. Then they got to get back in the studio. So that added to everything else that was going on with the band at the time. And we haven't even gotten to the whole Steve Clark thing and his issues. And we'll get there eventually. But uh, that's just a, that's part of what took it so long, right? Yeah, definitely. I read somewhere that Vivian Campbell also, when he came in and then Phil Collins came in, he was actually, he had to actually redo all of the guitar tracks over because they either lost them or they recorded them somehow wrong. If, I don't know if you guys, if you guys read that before. No, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that. Uh, I think most of the recordings, at least the original ones were all Steve Clark or not all Steve Clark, all Phil Collins doing the guitars, both both guitars. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of the stuff I read is is that as well. I, Vivian wasn't on the record at all. They didn't hire Vivian oh, right. until after the record was done. My understanding is this, and we'll get into more of this as we go, but my understanding is that Steve Clark was really kind of a mess during the recording of this record. It was while we were taking the time off and we were sort of out of routine, where you're not having to get up a specific time, was when you start noticing... Steve's drinking was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Come 1990, it got to the stage when we really started trying to work on the record. It got to it got to a state where it was pretty much impossible to do anything. We we actually couldn't get any um, anything down on tape that was of any quality that we could use. It was really frustrating seeing your best friend dying, basically, you know, and, and not being able to help him and him not being able to help himself. And we got together with Steve and said, look, you know, this is not doing you any good at all. And it's certainly not doing the band any good. If, if it's the pressure of this album that's getting you down, what we got as a suggestion is a very informal six month leave of absence. Well, it never came because he died in January. We tried everything we could. It sounds in a way that maybe we let him go, but we didn't. He never really believed he had a problem. So he, uh, he kind of just suffered and it got worse and worse and worse. And then one day he just fell asleep and never woke up. This band's been through so much shit, dude. It's amazing. It's amazing they actually let, actually got an album out the door. It's amazing when you look at the history of this band. Listen, there's plenty of bands out there that have had, you know, crazy tragedies happen to them. But when you look at the history of this band and realize that 40 years later, they're still playing arenas and, and even stadiums on the right package, it's pretty incredible. And the amount of albums that this band has sold. So, yeah. It's <laughs> much lesser things have killed off bands more so in history, right? Oh, yeah. Like some of my favorite bands. We had a singer that fell off a truss, right? So that's it. I'm done. Yep. We had a band where all their shit was stolen. They're like, that's it. We're done. Like there's that kind of shit. And these guys, there's people getting killed off and losing limbs and shit. And they just keep going. Yeah. So let's talk about the album cover here. The album cover is pretty basic. I mean, there's not a whole lot to it. To me, it looks like an eyeball with, you know, some 
lightning firing off an eyeball. What What's your thoughts on this, Sonny? Yeah, it looks like an eyeball to me, too. I, I like that the colors pop. So kind of gives that feeling of Tesla's mechanical resonance, right? There's there's enough color in it to where mm-hmm. you could put this thing in a record frame and like put it up at work, and it's kind of cool because it pops, right? It would have been kind of cool, but I think it had already been done now that I'm thinking about it. If that center was almost more like a fist and it had a hint of a lightning bolt in it mm-hmm. versus how it kind of showed up. But, uh, yeah, until you think about it, you don't think about that it's an eyeball. Yeah, I mean, I might have moved the Def Leppard logo into the center of the eyeball uh, and maybe done something like that. Maybe put the Def Leppard in the center of the eyeball with the triangle around it because that's kind of identifiable. What are your thoughts on this record uh, cover, BB? Yeah, I saw I saw the eyeball as well, and then and when I when I first looked at it, it always reminded me of like when you went into Spencer's Gifts and they had that that electrical ball and you would like touch it and mm-hmm. the, like the little electrodes would like go to where your fingertips were. I thought it was kind of cool album, but it just, it was kind of boring for me. I, I like Sonny's how, like the, how he said the, the blue of the eyeball kind of pops and it grabs you. And I don't think it fits the, the name of the album either. It just, and I don't know where, where or why you just put an eyeball on your album cover when you had like five years to actually come up with something really, really cool. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on the album cover itself. I looked for a little bit of stuff, but I couldn't find uh, just anything concrete on the album cover. So who knows? <laughs> no telling where they came up with the uh, with the cover. I'm not sure whether it was even the same guy that's done the last couple of album covers for them. But anyway... Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Let's get into the track by track. All right. So the album opens with Let's Get Rocked. And BB, to me, the song kind of had a woman, a women plus pour some sugar on me feel. And this whole thing, mow the lawn, tidy your room. These guys are 30 plus years old at this point. I don't know if you need a 15-year-old teenage song. What did you think? Yeah, uh, I get that vibe from a lot of these songs. Like, I don't know if they're trying to hit the 15-year-old boy or the 18-year-old girl with some of these songs. But uh, I think Let Kids Rock was was an all right opener. I think it has more like an arena rock song. Like, he always had that response to that song. But honestly, I think the song is mixed fantastically. Because you think about you only have one guitar player. And there's so many layers in certain parts of this song that you actually think there could be almost three guitars playing at once. The um, mixing production, fantastic on this opener. And like I said, it's not too bad for an opener because there's not many other ones on this album that would really kind of fit there. But, you know, that's where it is and that's where it lays. And we'll we'll start with that one. Yeah, Stephen, like we were talking about, if you were wondering, are they going to Pyromania? Are they doing Hysteria on the next album? Dude, they let you know in about 30 seconds exactly where they stand. But I got to be honest, I kind of like the start of, do you want to get rocked? That's pretty cool. Do you want to get rocked? Do nothing. In fact, that's what I did. 
Yeah, so this was the first song we heard off the record, right? At least it was for me. Yeah. I mean, to me, yeah, it definitely goes straight to hysteria. You know exactly where they stand. They're going to start the record with somewhat of a pour some sugar on me arena rocker. To me, the whole 15-year-old kid, look, that's rock and roll, right? Rock and roll was about being 15, 16, and a rebel and defying your parents. I don't care how old they are. I didn't think about that when I heard the song for the first time. To me, the song is kind of fun, windows down, crank it type thing. I love the bridge before the solo section. They do such a great job on this record, and you're going to hear this from me several times throughout this record, where the pre-courses and the bridges before the solo sections are just really well-written, in my opinion. It sounds good to my ears. And as far as you know, production on this record, you're not going to get a shitty production from Def Leppard. And BB, where you talked about three guitars... There's an interview out there with the engineer from this record, and Def Leppard doesn't do anything two and three guitars. They start with 24 guitars. They they (laughs) spend so much time on tracking guitars. I think at one point he talks about having 24 tracks for guitars on this record. So, uh, yeah. It doesn't matter whether there's one guy in the band or 15 guys in the band. They're going to track the guitars and make them sound full of life. And uh, this song is no exception. So the next we go to Heaven Is, and BB just kind of sounds like Beatles, Beach Boys, and Queen kind of thrown in a blender. I mean, it works, I guess. It's fluffy pop, but uh, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I can definitely hear the hysteria-ish feeling in this song as well. The one thing I always loved about Def Leppard, they never let you down with their band harmonies. Their band harmonies are just like off the charts amazing on this album. And this song is just is just the start of it. I think the solo is is very hysterious as well in this one. So you kind of got the the one-two punch here. So if you're a fan of like Pyromania, you're still waiting for that hope and dream that there is something on this album you can grip to to bring you back to the pyromania era yeah and steven for me okay the let's get rock thing was 15 year old kid i actually like the song though right that's the song i go back to this heaven is dude it reminded me of armageddon and i was like oh not another one of these goddamn songs yeah so this is why you should have known that i was gonna love this song because you dislike this song to me this is nice it's poppy it's as good as anything on hysteria in my opinion timing is everything This song should have been a huge hit and probably would have been a huge hit somewhere around the 86, 87 timeframe. Love the bridge before this solo section as well. Same as let's get rocked. It's just a great pop song. You're talking about the beach boys and queen, just like Joe Elliott kind of hearkened to that. This was a throwback to that era. One of the things that I've always loved about the Beach Boys and Queen are those vocal harmonies, those three-part, four-part harmonies, just layered vocals, and it's all over this song. I just, I like this song a lot. And in fact, I forgot how much I like this song until I went back to the record and started listening to it again for this uh, this episode.
and then we get to make love like a man. All right. So, you know, in our community of rock, this song can be deemed embarrassing. I will tell you it's another portion of sugar on me. It's a little cheesy. But, BB, I got to tell you, this don't call me Gigolo. Don't call me Casanova. Fuck, dude, it's been swimming in my head for 30 years, right? <laughs> I actually really like this song. Really? <laughs> I really like I this just song. think there is, like you already said it, I think there is just cheese all over this song. But it's funny. The lyrics are funny. I didn't like it. I just I just think it's cheesy. Like, making love like a man. Like, so are you... Just like the first song, are we talking about the 15-year-old boy or are we talking about the fantasy of the 18-year-old girl? Like somebody, it, it's just, I think the only cool part, like you guys have been talking about the bridges and that, there's this cool chugging riff right at the bridge, right before the solo that Phil does, which is really, really cool. I think the solo is just a little bit too short, but I, I just think this song is like definition of cheese from front to back. Steven, so Phil Collins says, it's a really tongue-in-cheek song. When I first suggested it to Mutt and Joe, I said, hey, don't worry about the lyrics. We'll change the lyrics later on. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. That sounds great. We can't change it. So we left it the way it was. The song is not meant to be serious, and it is not about any of us. So there's Phil Collins talking about make love like a man. What's your thoughts on this song? <laughs> All right, so let me start with this. Pony, I'm going to give you mad props here because you're man enough to own up that you love the song and you understand that the lyrics are cheesy, but you still love the song. I appreciate that. And that's serious. I'm not being an ass about it. I'm serious. I do appreciate that because this song gets a lot of shit, right? From our community uh, because of the lyrics. I think the lyrics are cringeworthy. However, and this is a big however, I think the music is great. I really, really like the pre-course a lot, which is what you're talking about, Sonny, the um, Casanova thing, right? The lyrics to that. Don't call me Gigolo. Don't call me Casanova. Just call me on the phone and baby, come on over when you need someone, when you need someone. That's great. So I have no problem with that. But yeah, the whole 
the whole make love like a man, I mean, you can't say it with a straight face because it is kind of cringeworthy, but exactly that. I'm sure it was all tongue in chief. I read a place where Elliot said that they would rather not play this song live anymore as the lyrics were a nod too stupid, quote unquote. <laughs> so I guess they don't want to play it live because it's the because of the lyrics. But like I said, I, I think the music's fine. I don't hate this song. So then the fourth song we get to is Tonight. And BB, after the last song, this song sounds really serious. And I absolutely love this song. And probably the 10 times I listened to this album to prepare for this, I probably listened to this song at least 30 times. I just kept replaying it, replaying it, replaying it. I love how it starts like almost slower, acoustically-ish. And it kind of builds to the chorus and you get you get some more a uh, little rough, electric guitar in there and it drops back down to a slower feel after that it's right in that Def Leppard bang zone for me I love the tone and it honestly reminds me of something that was left off of pyromania very radio worthy little splurges of heaviness but it also it teeters on that softer side I absolutely love tonight Yeah, Stephen, and I agree with BB. I think it sounds pyromania-ish because this song actually kind of like builds into the chorus and then backs off and then builds and backs off. And Hysteria didn't have a ton of that. Why in the hell 
are we not talking about the song tonight more often? This was one of the surprises for me upon listening to this record, doing the research for this episode. I put this on and I'm like, I don't necessarily remember this song. Holy shit, this song is really, really good. This is the perfect mixture of pyromania and hysteria. Answer the question. Is this a ballad? No, not to me. No. No. I put, is this a ballad with a question mark? Because do we consider fooling a ballad? Do we consider too late for love a ballad? Either one of those? That's a no-no to me too. Those are both mid-tempo. Okay. So this is in that same vein. And so I, I put this as one of my favorite Def Leppard ballads, uh, but that's as far as what I can consider a ballad. But if it's if it's not a ballad, I'm okay with that as well. But yeah, to me, this just, it harkens back to the Too Late for Loves, the Foolins, just a really perfect mixture of pyromania slash a little bit of hysteria. And I just think it's a fantastic song. I get goosebumps at the beginning with the with just the vocal harmonies. It reminds me of some of the uh, acapella stuff that Yes does. It's just really, really good. I like the song a lot. And then we close side one with White Lightning. I think if I had to pick a favorite song off Adrenalize, it's hard because my... My opinion of the album changes depending on which way the wind's blowing. I mean, sometimes I really don't like it, and then there's other times I think, no, that's our glam rock album. We made a really cool record, you know. Depends what mood you're in. But the one song that never really veers away from any emotional thought of mine is White Lightning. Musically, I think it's a great piece of work. I think Phil really just battered that one out of the park when it came to music. I remember he played it me. It was one of the, it was the only thing that we wrote on the road, or he did. So I got this demo and he played it. It's like, wow, that's awesome. It had a kind of a Zeppelin-esque thing about it. And then when Steve passed away and him being such a fan of of Jimmy Page, it just kind of made sense to it it just kind of wrote itself from that point of view. It's like this kind of sounds a bit Zeppelin-esque. We were gonna leopardize it with all the harmonies and all that stuff, which Zeppelin would never have done. But it just made sense to like tie it in with making it as a tribute to Steve. And of course, that ties it to your heartstrings for life when you do something like that. And so from an emotional point of view, it's never wavered. It's always been there. Some other songs come and go that I go, that's it's really good. I've not heard it for years. It sounds great. Like Stand Up sounds great. Tonight sounds great. Even I Want to Touch You is a great pop song. There's some good stuff on there, but White Lightning would be my favorite. All right, so I get what they're trying to do here, right? They're trying to pay homage to a guy who isn't around anymore, right? And they miss the guy, and I get it. And I actually got to give them credit that they didn't make the whole album like this because this the whole album could have had this kind of little bit more of a, a dreary feel, and they didn't really go there, which is great. All that being said, this song just does not connect for me. I appreciate what they're trying to do, but to me, it's a waste of time. DB. Yeah, this is a long song for Def Leppard, over seven minutes. But I think this song was actually in Def Leppard's hopper for a while. I think it started out as just an instrumental demo that um, Phil had and then brought it out. Joe added some lyrics after uh, Steve Clark died. But almost like you said, Sonny, only Def Leppard can put like catchy hooks and big band harmonies into a song about addiction. And I just don't get it. Yeah, and Steven, they're trying to be epic, and I just don't need that from Def Leppard. And it just sounds too gods of war for me, so I was like, yeah, I remember this song. That's why I don't listen to this song ever. Yeah, so, I mean, I think 
history has told us Def Leppard has a song kind of like this almost on every record, or at least the ones leading up to this, right? They did with Die Hard the Hunter, did with Gods of War, did with even the one on the the first album, the weird progressive one that was on that first record. Anyway, it's just, it's very Gods of War. And I don't say that just because of like the really almost exact same length (laughs) intro as on Gods of War. It's the tempo is a little bit slower than Gods of War. I like the pre-course again in this song, as well as some of the other songs that we've discussed. This was one of the last songs written for the record. Uh, Like BB said, this is a song that Phil Collin had sitting around and he bought it into the band. Joe threw some lyrics on it. I get the seriousness of the theme of the song. I don't hate this song like Sonny does. It's okay for me. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's seven minutes. It's that Die Hard the Hunter uh, at the end of the first side. of guys that are all pretty much on the same line and we managed to finish the record without him so it, it wasn't as if it was ever going to be a threat to the end of the band or anything like that you just it's life and you just have to get on with it steve's always with us one way or another if it, if not in a, in a spiritual sense in a in a sense that like just his his influence of, i mean we spent years with the guy i'd known steve for 15 years and you don't go through that amount of time without 
uh, having some kind of effect on people, and Steve will have an effect on us till, well, forever. So then we start the second side with stand up, kick love into motion. <sighs> and BB, I think this is where when Def Leppard fans heard High and Dry Saturday night and then they listened to this song, they're like, what the fuck happened to this band? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of this song either. It has that signature Def Leppard rock ballad sound to it. Once again, and I keep kind of going back to this, but it kind of reminds me of Hysteria. And they keep going to the well too many times. There's some cool finger plucking in the in the solo that Phil does. I thought was really really cool. And there's actually a video for this I I found today, which was really really weird. Once again, it just doesn't click for me. I'm looking for more of a punch, and it just this is out for more radio recognition. I think. <laughs> Stephen, this this song just it feels like Animal and Hysteria had a baby. That's what the song is. I wrote notes for this song. Here's how it goes. <laughs> so this song was written during the hysteria sessions and it was left off of hysteria because the band even said, Hey, it sounds a little bit like hysteria. No shit. It's hysteria too. To me, this song is okay. It's kind of met to me. And if I had a cassette, and I flip the cassette over, and this is the first thing I hear on side two, I'm chunking that thing out the window. What's up with that? This isn't how I want to kick off my side two. It's just okay for me. It's very meh. All right, so before we get to my thoughts on personal property, so BB, at this point, Def Leppard went from five members to four members, correct? Correct. 
Okay, Stephen, would you say the same thing that went from five members to four members? Yeah, during the recording of this record, definitely. Okay, not that I want to get technical, but didn't they technically go from 4.75 members to four members? <laughs> that's so that's mean, Pooney. Oh, is that too soon? <laughs> I don't know. It took them five years to record the record, so no, it's, been it's not too soon. fucking years. It's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> he even makes jokes about it. Do you know? I I saw on a God, where was it? I read an article or something recently that on Amazon Music he created a playlist. Rick Allen is who we're talking about. Rick Allen created a playlist and entitled it the two arm years <laughs> oh my god he, he actually did that i look i respect that yeah you know he's got a good sense of humor about it but he put a playlist together on amazon music and entitled it the two arm years <laughs> <laughs> i've never felt the band's jinx people mention it you know, is there a curse on the band? John Bon Jovi's convinced there is. He won't travel in a car with me. <laughs> BB, this song, Personal Property, I'll tell you, the only thing I like about it is the first 10 seconds where the, the music's going from ear to ear or whatever. That's it. The right. rest of the song, I hate it. Really? You know, I think lyrically, this is a fun song. I think it's the best written song on the album. There are <laughs> some cool guitar riffs in this. And, it just, and it's a little bit heavier for me. So it's not like the... It's not like the lovey-dovey, you know, stand up, but it has a little bit of meat and potatoes to it. And like I said, I think, I think lyrically it's, it's catchy. And these guys, right, there's still women at the shows, and there should be because they've got women fans and women are loyal. This song, Stephen, would not fly in 2022. In the cancel culture that we live in, this would not fly, but you can name this song anything you want. Song still shit. I'm still trying to fathom that BB said this was the best written song on the album. Anyway, <laughs> let me let me wipe the uh, tears out of my eyes and uh, the cobwebs from my ears. Okay, so I understand what BB's saying. Yes, this is a meat and potatoes song, and I do actually like it. But, and this is a big but, it's an album filler. Uh, it's it's a rocker, but it's an album filler. And come on, BB, the course kind of sucks to this song. <laughs> There's not much to this course. This course is kind of shite compared to what uh, Def Leppard. We know what Def Leppard's capable of, and this course is is something that they threw together. So uh, that's where I stand on this song. I don't I don't dislike it. I actually like it, but I like it because it is meat and potatoes, and it's a rocker and. That's a rare commodity on Def Leppard records sometimes, right?
All right. So the next song, have you ever needed someone so bad? So I was telling you guys a story before we started recording. You know, I hadn't heard the album front to back for a while, but this song's always been around. It's not on any of my playlists, but you've heard it enough because it's always on rock radio or I'm sure it's been in a movie somewhere or whatever. So listening to the album several times, um, you know, the, the song gets in your head and it swims there for a while. So you start humming these songs when you're doing stuff. So I'm at Walmart the other day and I'm kind of humming it and I'm at, you know, Menards or whatever, Lowe's or whatever. And I'm humming it, blah, 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 blah. I get home and it's been all day. I'm humming this stupid song and I'm like, I can't get it out of my head. I got, I need to listen to some other music, try to get this thing out of my head. And after what, six, seven, eight hours of humming this song, I realize that I'm humming only part of this song, but then I'm also humming look away by Chicago. And I had not heard look away from Chicago for at least 15 years. And then I'm like, why am I doing that? And then I went and listened to both choruses and I'm like, oh my God, dude, they are so similar. So BB, when you heard it, did you think the same thing? Yes, 100% when you send that text out. And I started laughing and, and it brings you back to the Chicago 19 because I remember uh, my, my cousin would play that constantly. But this song is another, seems like it's, it, they're almost starting to sound the same kind of ish for me. Another like ballad sounding, more cheese. It just hysteric alike. The only the only thing is that there's like a, there's some actual heavy riffs in that which actually caught my ear, and it's just it's just another another song that I I'm skipping over because this is not the wheelhouse of Depp Leopard that I want to hear. And then Stephen, our uh, buddy Phil Collin here, you know, since Phil's listening, I need to give him some uh, some feedback here. So in an interview, he says, "This song, it's a silly love song about missing your girlfriend." That's what it was about when I first wrote it. I was in Australia and my wife was in America somewhere. Okay, why are you missing your girlfriend if your wife is in America somewhere? I'm a little confused. It's probably a misprint or something. <laughs> Who knows? I think Phil outed himself. That's what I think happened. That's the kind of shit that gets a lot of rock and rollers in trouble, those little misprints in those magazines. <laughs> I don't know. To me, I just, I put sucks in parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the pre-course is okay. I, I don't know. You know, I just, I, I don't need this shit. Give me another, give me another song that's similar to tonight, right? If you got to have something that slows it down a little bit, give me something like that. I don't need a flat out ballad. I've had enough of that shit, uh, on hysteria. I just, I don't need it. It's songs like this where they're a semi hit. And then you've got songs like this on hysteria that are hits. And before you know it, half the band set live is shit like this. So, you know, it's like, that's why I don't really care to see the band live anymore because they play the same freaking 10 songs that they have been playing for the last 15 years. And half of it is shit like this. I can only go take a pee break for so long. You know what I'm saying?
And having spent three years writing and recording Adrenalize, it comes as no surprise that Def Leppard are looking forward to getting back on the road. I am really, really excited about this album. I'm really looking forward to the future of the band. It's so open and so up in the air and so unpredictable that you can't help but have that little adrenaline rush going through you um, because you don't know what's going to even happen tomorrow. All we want to do is get out and play live, you know, entertain people, get back on the bus, get on a plane or travel to the next city, country, and, and just do it again and do it in front of a different bunch of people and send them home happy. My state of mind right now is that I, I'm more excited about this record than I ever was on the last one. I've got, the last one taught us all a lesson. This time around, we're in, we're in a position to be able to enjoy it, uh, enjoy the whole process of the anticipation of the record getting released. That is something that I'm having a, a field day with right now. All right, then we get to I Want to Touch You. All right. BB, I start realizing at this point, if it wasn't for the backing vocals, most of these songs would not go over too well. No, like, uh, you know what I don't understand about this song? Some of the lyrics are the letter U. Some of the lyrics are spelt out U. But even the opening sentence, I want to touch you until we're stuck like glue. Don't get me wrong. I love my wife. I've been with my wife since 1996. I don't think I want to be stuck like glue to her. I think I still need me, me time. I need BB time. I don't know if I want to be stuck like glue to anybody. It's just another another same sounding song that we've heard already. We're already at song nine. I think five of the songs sound the same. But maybe your listeners will, will understand this. Uh, these guys didn't hear it, but I heard it all day long. At the minute and 29 seconds of this song, Porky Pig makes a little guest appearance because it seems like there's like a stutter or there's a skip or Joe does it. I don't know what's going on there, but in just saying, yeah, I excite over you. He goes, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 uh, I excite over you. And it's almost like a porky pig sounding. So maybe your listeners will hear that. Maybe I'm just tone deaf, but another song on the album that sounds the same to me, just another meh.
Uh, the opinions of BB may not necessarily reflect <laughs> the opinions of the hosts of the Growing Up Rock podcast. Because, <laughs> Nicole, we've been together since 94, and I do want to be stuck to you like Lou. Mm-hmm. I just want to say that out loud. <laughs> Let me interrupt here. I know exactly what BB's saying, and Sonny, just admit it. Here's the thing. Anybody that's been married a while and is solid in their relationship, I'm pretty solid with my my wife and my relationship. You got to have some me time. There's not a person in the world that wants, I don't want to spend 24-7 with my wife or anybody else all the time. You got to have some me time. And I think that that goes for her as well. Uh, she doesn't want to be around me 24-7. So I understand exactly what you're saying, BB, and I feel the same way. Sonny, come on. You got me time coming out of your ears for the last 10 years, Sonny, so don't tell me that. The opinions of Stephen Michael are not necessarily <laughs> the opinions of Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Nicole, I love you. Fuck you, Stephen. Um, anyway. <laughs> Too bad we cannot call Nicole in because I would love to know if she wanted to be stuck with you. Like, Oh, Luke. she would say no. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. But, Stephen, this is basically excitable part two. I don't know. I didn't put the two songs together. I mean, my thoughts on this is I do like the way the verses are kind of that call and answer type thing. It's not really call and answer, but you know what I'm trying to say here. The course to me is just meh. This isn't one of my favorites on the on the record by far. And then we end the record with Tear It Down. And BB, when I was listening to this again today, I'm like, why do I like that pre-chorus and chorus so much? And it felt like something Paul would write. That's why. Right? Because it's Tear It right. Down. Then you say something. Tear It Down. You say something. I'm like, oh, my God. This is like in the Paul Stanley writing style. And dude, this song fucking kicks ass. Honestly, they definitely saved the best for last in this album. You got the loud riffs, you got heavy drums, upbeat, right smacking your face, rock and roll. This is the Def Leppard I want to hear. I wish there was more of this on the album, but unfortunately you had to wait for the last song to get it. And then nothing like this is out there after this album. But uh, I think it's a great album closer. It's perfectly right where it is. It does what it's supposed to. It's leaving you wanting more hearing that song.
And the crazy part about this, Stephen, is this song had been around a while, right? Because they played it at the MTV Music Video Awards in 89. It was the last time Steve Clark was with them live. So they know they have this song. Why not write another two or three of these? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And they probably have two or three of these that are in the hopper. Uh, I like this because it's actually a fun rocker, uh, was my notes on it. Have you guys, have either one of you guys heard the raw version of this song? Because you guys know this was the B-side of Women in 87, right? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. as uh, polished for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's not polished at all, but I kind of like that. Like if I could have that raw recording, but with a decent production, like decent sounding, because the version I heard was like straight off the vinyl. It, it wasn't great. It was like a, a demo, but uh, it's just a raw version of this song. I mean, it kicks ass, but it was written in that time frame around, you know, 85, 86, 87. Yeah, I love this tune. Yeah, give me more of this. All right, so that's it. Ten songs. BB, I want to get your top two and bottom two. I'll share mine first. My bottom two, Personal Property and White Lightning. Don't need them. My top two, tear it down, and you can send your hate mail because Make Love Like a Man is in my <laughs> top two, baby. <laughs> BB, how about you? Well, Make Love Like a Man is not my top. It is one of my bottom ones. And also... Have you ever needed someone so bad is my other bottom two. And then my top two are Tear It Down and Tonight. And Stephen, how about you? Top two are Tear It Down and Heaven Is. And my bottom two is Stand Up and Have You Ever Needed. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we round off the discussion, let's connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world. Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, as we talked about, Adrenalize comes out March 92. So in history, Eric's passed away about five months earlier. Kiss is thinking about turning in their blue thongs and their jeans and their vests for a bunch of leather. They're finishing up the recording sessions where they've enlisted Eric Singer as a permanent member and brought back Bob Ezrin to help with the production duties. And also they've forgiven... Vinnie Vincent, for some reason, for being an ass, and had him co-write three songs, two for Paul and one for Gene. Now, what's interesting is Revenge, KISS fans kind of have love-hate with this. For me personally, I think it's better than Hot in the Shade. So Eric Singer joins, but Eric Singer has not played with KISS Live. He's played with Paul Live, but he hasn't played with KISS Live. So they decide to start with club shows. So I saw the first club show on this tour, which was on April 23rd, 1992, in San Francisco at the Stone, 751 people, all right? I don't know if the Stone holds 751 people. There were 751 people there. The set list, Love Gun, Deuce, Heavens on Fire, Parasite, Shout It Out Loud, Strutter, Calling Dr. Love, I Was Made for Loving You, 100,000 Years, Unholy, Take It Off, God of Thunder, Lick It Up, Firehouse, Tears Are Falling, I Love It Loud, I Stole Your Love, Cold Gin, Detroit Rock City, I Want You, God gave rock and roll to you too, and then they end with rock and roll all night. Right! That is a hell of a set list for a club. And I swear, I felt like I was like just inches away from like touching Paul's guitar. That's how kind of the stone just is set up. So I wanted to play a live song from that show. So here is Take It Off 
April 92, The Stone in San Francisco. Check out Paul's vocals on this live track. I think I got it on a bootleg. That's how I ended up getting this. So check it out.
So had you guys heard that live recording before? BB, what you think? No, I, I've never heard that before, but I loved it. I, there's almost like parts that there are, it's actually, it seems like it's a little bit quicker than the actual album version, which I thought was really, really cool. And, you know, for being a bootleg from 92, I thought, I thought the sound quality was pretty good. And then when you rattle off that set list, that show had to be about three hours long, but man, it's nothing like they do now. Yeah, not even close. <laughs> Steven, had you heard that live? And it's not bad for a bootleg, right? Uh, no, it sounds great. No, I hadn't heard that particular recording. When was your show again? Tell me. April 23rd, 92. Okay, so I saw Kiss on May 2nd, 1992 at a place that holds a thousand people here in Atlanta. It's not a club. It's It's more of like a tiny mini arena thing. It's called the Center Stage. And they did... Basically, that same set list that you just whipped out, 22 songs. It was fantastic. Loved it. I'm sure it was sold out. I just don't remember much other than the fact that I was there. Yeah, it's cool. I love that song. I've always liked that song. Def Leppard had always been a two-guitar band, of course, so the surviving members kept searching for a replacement for Steve Clark and finally settled on former Whitesnake and Dio guitarist Vivian Campbell. I think we really knew in our heart of hearts that he was the right guy. You know, he was our age, British, plays good guitar, <laughs> sings very well, and he plays football. He had everything that we needed. It's Vivian Campbell! I've always been a Def Leppard fan because they fuse rock and, and elements of heavy metal with um, what are very, very melodic songs. So um, I, I think it's, it, for me personally, it's a natural progression to be, to be playing this kind of music. I certainly don't want to play anymore, you know? <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> so then putting a bow on this whole 1992 adrenalized Def Leppard and what's going on in Def Leppard history, you know, they enlist Vivian Campbell. Uh, we know that Joe and Vivian knew each other uh, because they actually live next to each other. Joe actually has a house in Dublin, Ireland. So that's how we kind of knew Viv. And Viv was in Sweet Savage, and they were huge Def Leppard fans when Def Leppard started out. So they kind of knew each other. Vivian didn't know anybody else. Vivian has said he got called, said, all right, come on down play a few songs with us. He had taken vocal lessons because he really wanted to sing, but Dio wouldn't let him sing. David Coverdale helped him out a little bit too with vocal lessons. So they were super surprised how well he could sing. He said it wasn't really an audition, but it was more about getting to know the guys and see if there was chemistry. And there was chemistry because it's been a match made in heaven for 30 years. Yeah, obviously it worked out. Yeah, and I was surprised that John Sykes didn't get get the gig because he was already there doing background vocals for a couple of the songs. 
I think probably John's history was apparent to more uh, people than needed to be. So I think that was probably an easy decision uh, by the Def Leppard guys. Right. And I think you get Sykes. You don't get Sykes forever. And Vivian is, you know, I don't, you know, obviously they don't know it's forever, but it wasn't like Vivian had suitors. He had gotten fired out of two bands. He was trying to get two other bands going. He got fired by Ronnie James Dio and David Coverdale. God damn, that can't look good on the resume. <laughs> they got to be the two nicest people in rock and roll history. Well, that depends on who you talk to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't ask Vivian. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. John Sykes. I mean, he's got to be his own worst enemy given uh, his output in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. You know, I, I hate to say it, but I'm sort of surprised that John is still alive. Uh, I wish that he would, you know, put out more productivity and get better if he's not uh, with his demons, but who knows? So overall, okay, again, you can send your hate mail if you want. And I took a lot of pot shots at this album, but I think it actually stands better than Hysteria does. I actually like it better than Hysteria. I like it better than Hysteria as well. I'm not a Hysteria fan. But at least I think this album gives you a little bit of both albums that we kind of talked about. It gives you a little pyromania. It gives you a little hysteria. I think it's a good mix of, you know, their back catalog. But like I said before, I wish there was a little bit more of the pyromania represented. I think there was just a little bit too much of the lovey-dovey ballad, you know, stuff from hysteria on here. I think one of the reasons we might enjoy this record a little more than hysteria is because it's not as fatigued. It just isn't, right? Other than let's get rocked, you really don't hear a ton of this stuff. And listening back to this record, to me, the surprise was, well, this record is much better than I remember it being. Why don't I ever go back to Adrenalize? But the truth of the matter is, and BB kind of alluded to this, if I want Def Leppard, then I go to Pyromania and High and Dry. I don't go to Hysteria anyway, because I don't love Hysteria. So if we put Hysteria up against Adrenalize, I would probably tell you the same thing. I like Adrenalize better than Hysteria, but I like Pyromania and High and Dry better than I like this. So maybe that's the reason. I don't know. Sonny, what do you think? Yeah, it could be the burnout factor a little bit, and it could be the shock of a Hysteria after Pyromania. It's hard to get that taste out of your mouth. By the time you get here, you're like, okay, well, what were you thinking? They're going to go back to Pyromania? Like, you know what they are at this point. And I think it also has to do with a lot of our other bands were not putting out good stuff at this point. So it's like, man, look at, they just got a number one album doing the stuff they were doing. Guys, just go back to what you were doing. Maybe it'll be okay. Right? But it didn't work out that way. Yeah. I mean, to the 10 million people that bought the 10 million plus people that bought Hysteria and then in the five years in between Hysteria and 92 when this record came out, my guess is a lot of them transitioned over to grunge and didn't want the pretty boy shit anymore. I would tell those people to go back and listen to this record now in their, you know, I'm assuming they're in their 50s at this point. 40, late 40s, 50s, go back and listen to this record. Because if you still love Hysteria and you love Hysteria when it came out, give this record a shot. Don't you think, BB? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's a good balance. Now, even the couple of the cheesy songs, there are different little hooks in there that, that you actually enjoy. And I agree 100%. It's probably 
the tired factor, you know, the overplayed hysteria. What they released like seven or eight singles off that album. They were all over the place when they were released. They're all over MTV. And it just got tiring after, you know, probably two years of those guys just releasing song after song after song. And this one only having, you know, a couple songs that were released and only really remembering Let's Get Rocked. You know, it, it fits a little bit better that you're not sick and tired of of hearing the, the radio hits like Hysteria had. But, you know, BB, they released six singles off this record. Now, all of them weren't in the U.S., Some of them were UK, but according to the almighty Bible that is Wikipedia, which we all love and trust, according to them, let's get rocked, make love like a man, have you ever needed someone so bad, stand up, heaven is, and tonight we're all released as singles. They just, they couldn't get any traction is the bottom line because in 92, I don't think anybody wanted to hear this shit, but somebody did because they sold 3 million plus records. Yeah. That, and, and honestly, you think of it, that, that is pretty good considering how the music industry went in 92 for 3 million records. Uh, that's a pretty good payday for this album. Yeah. They're living off of pyromania, hysteria, and adrenalize. That's their entire sets, almost those three albums. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it to my dying day. I think women are more loyal to the music that they listen to in their youth and guys move on at some point. They sometimes come back like, you know, we kind of stuck it out cause we're music nerds, but the fair weather fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that song. Oh, I remember that song or whatever, but women, they got connected and they stay. Yeah. Uh, bottom line is I think, uh, this record was a little bit of a surprise for all of us that revisited it. And I think we all feel that it's, <laughs> a better record than hysteria at least in our opinion the record sales won't tell that but decent little episode here do you have anything that you want to add bb uh no uh guys thanks for having me on it was a blast as always i love doing this stuff with you guys because not always do we have the same musical type and it definitely showed tonight if your listeners know me as always from potter than hell we release every friday and uh, we're in the same vein as you guys. And once again, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. I love Def Leppard, love talking about this. And, uh, you know, it was great to go back to this album and revisit it because I, I appreciate it a lot more now than I did back then. BB, always a pleasure having you on, always hearing your crazy uh, ramblings. Like when you say uh, certain things like this is the best written song on this album when clearly it's not. We always appreciate that thing. And the fact that you'll spend 10 grand for a meet and greet. We always love things like that as well. Sonny Pooney, do you have any last uh, departing words? No, BB, thanks for joining us. I'm your personal property for four and a half more hours tonight. All right. And then it's over. Uh, somebody else is probably take me six hours to get to your house. So, (laughs) but no (laughs) listeners, thanks for listening. And, uh, this Def Leppard thing, we're going to keep it going. Yeah. Just remember she's a gold plated lover, a 24 karat cool. And that's cool, baby. Thanks everybody for listening until the end of next month where you're going to get what slang. Is that the next one? Yep. Slang. Thanks for listening. See ya. Later. Don't call me Jigolo. Don't call me Casanova. Call me on the phone, baby. Come on, come on over. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 